The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn on TNT. Yeah, it's the last Locked and Loaded of, I was going to say 2024. Maybe it is. Maybe there's something I don't know, but it's certainly the last Locked and Loaded of this week. Friday, the 12th of January, 2024. Can you, Adam and Eva? And also a big shout out if she's listening, which she probably isn't to my daughter. Uh, it's her 18th birthday today, which is unbelievable. She's now an adult. She doesn't want to be referred to as a child anymore. She's got a rude awakening. I'm going to start hammering her for housekeeping money if she wants to be treated like an adult. So be careful what you wish for. So anyway, uh, plenty to come in this hour. I'm going to be talking to Gemma Cooper in just a minute. And also uh, Basil Valentine will be joining me at around about 20 past. We're going to be talking about uh, the ongoing ICJ uh, genocide business with uh, South Africa and um, Israel-Palestine and also, of course, the developments in Yemen that have happened overnight. Then I'm going to be joined by Nick Buckley, who is an independent candidate for mayor for Greater Manchester for 2024. I'm going to be talking to Nick there as well about slum landlord problems uh, that are currently plaguing Greater Manchester. And then to round off the show this week, I'm going to be really happy to welcome back my old sparring partner, Rob Hutchinson from South Africa. We're going to be talking general South African politics. And of course, they should be having a very significant election this year as well. So plenty more to come during the course of this hour. If you haven't already done so, please download our app from the Google Play Store or the App Store if you search under TNT Radio. And of course, you can listen to us live or watch us live on all of the main streaming platforms, which is uh, YouTube, uh, Rumble, Odyssey, and so on and so forth. And if you go to our website, tntradio.live, around about halfway down the main page, you will see a little live link to our YouTube stream. So it's your choice. You can listen, which some people prefer to do, or you can watch and listen, which other people prefer to do. Either way, we're just glad to have you on board. So uh, a lot going on in Ireland at the minute, some crazy stuff happening in Ireland at the minute. Uh, Eamon Rann unveils a national cycle network uh, planning to create three and a half thousand kilometers of linked cycleways between towns and cities by 2040 at a cost of billions. So at a time when Ireland is in dire need of so, 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 so many things, uh, Eamon Rand from the Green Party is pushing for three and a half thousand kilometers of bike lanes to connect cities. Uh, and, and listen, if you're a cyclist, fair play to you. If you like getting around on bike, that's grand. But a lot of people don't fancy it. A lot of people don't can't be bothered with it, especially in the winter time in Ireland. You don't see a lot of cyclists out commuting, I'll tell you that much. So to invest in three and a half thousand kilometers of cycle lanes at this time in Ireland when so much else is going wrong and so much else is needed, I think it is absolute insanity. Uh, speaking of absolute insanity, Helen McEntee, who won my award for 2023 for the most uh, well, I can't remember what award she won, she won, but it wasn't a good award anyway. On the, the end of year <laughs> open line awards ceremony, she won something. I shudder to think what it was, but the so-called Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, who I think is, I don't know, I just think she's had her whole soul removed. If you look at, <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of her now, it does, if she won the lottery, 
she would just have the same expression. If she was told she only had an hour to live, she would have the same expression. She's got these soulless eyes. It reminds me of Jaws. You know, uh, when Robert Shaw famously talks about Jaws, he said about a great way, uh, they've got black eyes, like a doll's eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. That rem reminds me of Helen McEntee. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, the so-called Minister for Justice announces a 7.7 .7 million euro fund to support victims of crime. Millions being pumped into supporting victims of crime instead of prevention of crime. Listen, Helen, I'm sure you're a secret fan of mine, despite the fact that I blackguard you live on uh, global radio. But try, try this. Try this for your New Year's resolution. Prevention is better than cure. Say it after me, Helen. Prevention is better than cure. So don't worry about, well, funding the victims of crime. That's bad enough as it is, but try and prevent those people from becoming victims in the first place. But anyway, Helen McEntee, that's a little bashing her. I haven't bashed her this week, so there you go. I'm going to take a brief pause now. I'm going to bring Gem in, and uh, we've got plenty to talk about here, so don't go away. This is TNT, today's news talk. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma, I know we'll have a ton of stuff to get through. Just very, very, very briefly, you can remember maybe a day or two ago, you stayed on until the halfway park, uh, park part of the show. And uh, we actually discussed the story about uh, people coming in in a shipping container. They were apprehended in Rossler. They had phoned the UK police from inside the shipping container. There were 14 of them. Then Irish police uh, liberated them. Do you remember that story? Yes, yes, I do remember it yeah. well, yeah. Well, well, there's a little update to that one. Uh, at least eight of those 14 people found in the Rossler shipping container are now missing, missing after fleeing from Irish state services. So, you know, we talked about they were in a shipping container. They were being either, you know, uh, moved across here illegally or trafficked over into Ireland. Who knows what they were doing? They thought they were going to die. They phoned the UK police. The UK police phone the Irish police. The Irish police open up the shipping container. They all jump out and uh, eight of them uh, have went AWOL. No one knows where they are. Why, why would you do that if you've just been uh, at the result of a terrible journey, suffocating to death? You've just been freed by the Irish port authorities and then all of a sudden you just bolt off. Where are they going? Where would they go? No money, wow. no bearings. Very odd, isn't it? Or is it, you know, as you say, uh, if you've got someone waiting for you on the other side, it's very, very easy to disappear once you arrive into into places. You know, no one knows your name. No one knows who you mm. are. Barely know what you look like uh, before you're off um, and and uh, taking advantage of all the things that you discuss at length here on uh, Locked and Loaded about the 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 freebies that are handed out in, in Ireland. And that's the with the incentive to come. I would hope. That, they, that some of those eight, though, they're not the children because there were children in that shipping container mm -hmm. and you want to think that they are being looked after properly mm -hmm. and that their trauma is being acknowledged because imagine doing that when you're a little kid. That will stay with you for life, won't it? Yeah. Um, but it just goes to show how desperate people are to bring their, themselves and their children in, in conditions where you could die over to countries where they perceive everything is better. Mm, I know. So interesting, interesting. And I think uh, that they did give the breakdown of the people in the container. I think there was at least eight men in there. I know there was at least two children. And funnily enough, eight people have absconded. My money is on the men rather than the children going AWOL. But hey, uh, well, I know I'm only speculating at this stage, but not to take away from what we are going to talk about right now, which is an update on the ongoing COVID inquiry. What's the, the latest on that? What's the word on the street? 
Well, with all the dramas going on in the world, uh, this one has snuck under the radar. And uh, I've read this and my eye, my eyeballs just rolled. My eyebrows were raised. I was thinking, really? You really think we're going to swallow this? So the UK COVID inquiry, which started last year, I mean, we've talked about some of the evidence that's come out of that, the tit for tat, the, the kind of infighting, all of that stuff. Um, it, it, uh, it's, it's in phases. The first phase was uh, last summer, uh, which was the planning of the inquiry. The findings from that phase are expected uh, this summer. That was June last year. The second phase was talking about the major political decisions taken. That was in October 23. We all saw the kind of very juvenile politi politicians arguing between themselves on whose fault everything was there. Um, now, the third stage was due to be this year. And the third stage of the COVID inquiry, if we can call it that, whitewash is a more appropriate word, I think we'll agree. Um, the third phase of this inquiry was due to be on investigating vaccines and the jab and the rollout of the jab and the implementation of the vaccine task force, the role of the Joint Committee of, of Vaccine Safety. Uh, it was also due to look a vaccine, sorry, um, JCVI, you know, you know the committee mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. The crucially, this phase of the inquiry was also going to look at vaccine safety, the relationship between uh, jabs and heart problems, and the compensation scheme a government compensation scheme issued to people who've suffered severe adverse reactions or have had relatives that have died. That was the next phase in this inquiry. It's been announced in the last 24 hours that this is going to be postponed, cancelled, basically. No further date for this phase has been issued. Baroness Hallett, who's chairing the inquiry, she said, I realise that uh, the postponing of this phase of the inquiry will disappoint some people, but we need instead to focus our efforts on a separate investigation, which is on the impact of covid <laughs> COVID on the NHS. That hearing will be in September 24, the impact on the NHS. The vaccine conversation, where you where there are a few people being allowed in to give evidence on that that have had vaccine damage. I think UKCV family, us for them, they'll be mm -hmm. there, they've been told they can give evidence at that part. Um, they've been told no witness statements for that phase of the inquiry are now being postponed. And the reason they're giving is the general election. They're saying with all the things going on now in the UK, we've got a general election coming. We can't, and now we've got a war. We've seriously got a war. Um, we cannot possibly have this phase of the COVID inquiry hearing. We can have the other phase about the impact on the NHS. That will mm. be in September. We'll have that. But the one where we talk about vaccines, experimental jabs, the harms caused, the relationship between heart problems, vaccine damage. No, we're not going to have that phase. My money, Rick, if you call me a Tim Four hat nutter, mm. which many people have done, is that we won't hear this phase of the inquiry at all. They're going to use the excuse of the general election to push it out of the way and talk about other aspects of the last four years. When it comes to vaccines, they will do everything they can now to sweep it under the carpet. And I wouldn't wager that they will use the Middle East after the general election is over. Mm. The latest the general election can be here in the UK is January 25. After that, they'll use the war in the Middle East. They might use cost of living. They'll use anything to not have the vaccine part, the vaccine module of this inquiry brought to public attention. I, I find it a disgrace. And they think we won't see through these headlines. And also they snuck it in under the radar really quietly yesterday. Mm. Uh, it's only just come across my, my, my news feed this morning. That's because everything, of course, is dominated by the Middle East. And it does rather beg the question, what else will go unnoticed under the radar now as events in the Middle East continue to escalate to the point where we might be looking at World War III? 
You know, Gemma, this is almost like a politer version of uh, what happened uh, this week with Hunter Biden in front of Marjorie Taylor Greene whenever he was, uh, she jumped on him and he, he basically ran out of the inquiry and said, I refuse to talk about this. You know, he was running scared and she shouted out after the door, you're nothing but a card. So this is more like an English polite version of this uh, Baroness Hallett who said, you know, I recognize the decision will be disappointing for some, but more important things need to be discussed, you know. So in other words, she was pushing them uh, out the door. And there are people that I've had on in the last week, Alex um, Mitchell, for example, you know, and uh, Claire Hibbs and the Vibs UK family, the Vit family here, trying just simply to get justice and compensation for the injuries that have been recognized as have been a result of the vaccines and they can't even get uh, they can't get a look in so to be able to push this to the side is extremely convenient she said that more time was needed to prepare for a separate investigation on the impact of covid on the nhs i would wager to say one hypothesis is that these jobs have caused infinitely more strain on the nhs than any so-called covid strains have and i think uh, it's a real cop-out and a little bit of a kicking the teeth for people that were expecting at least to hear what was said on official records concerning the jabs because there's not just a handful of people jam out there that's affected and injured by this but there's thousands and thousands and so many people have died and the excess deaths are through the roof i think that's the major inquiry that should be going on excess deaths what the hell's happening absolutely and this is insult on top of injury mm -hmm. we, we know about the vaccine injuries we've all got our own personal stories to tell about friends and family and people in our communities i definitely have i know you have and um this is insult on top of that injury uh, and i think you know just the very callous fact that she would say well there will be a hearing in september 24 on the impact on the nhs but well you know to, to so that she's even acknowledging there's time for that work to be done there's time for that evidence to be presented but no when it comes to actual human impact and vaccine damage vaccine injury vaccine compensation i mean they've acknowledged that they will have to talk about the, the so potential relationship between the jabs and heart issues they've acknowledged that officially they just mm -hmm. don't want to they don't want to they'll talk about anything else under the sun I, i'll i'll lay my hat on it that we will not hear this module of the inquiry ever coming to fruition. And by the time we do, everyone will be so jaded and the world will have moved mm -hmm. on that they'll be able to sweep it under the carpet and say, oh, you know, in which time many more people will have died or, or suffered further life-changing conditions as a result of God knows what is still going around in their bodies. It's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. This, and they think we can't see through this headline. It would, you, even if you're not, our way inclined, you know, on TNT, we see the world in a certain way and we know the truth. I think there'll be plenty of normal people reading those headlines going, hang on a minute, isn't that kind of a crucial part of this inquiry? And why, why are you talking about other things? I would hope at least some people would read this story and think, hang on a minute, something's not right here and start their own journey of awakening off the back of this. Yeah, well, for what we can do here, which is obviously we can't influence the outcomes of this or whatnot, but at least we can bring it to people's attention, which is what we're uh, doing here this morning. So big thanks to you, Gemma, as always, for all your input this week. It's been an absolute blast, and hopefully uh, we'll get to do it all again next week come Monday the 15th. But that's Gemma Cooper. I'm Rick Bunn, and we will be right back after this short break with Basil Valentine. So please don't go away. This is TNT, today's news talk. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit 
and because of immigration. I voted because of democracy. But millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country. Which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who's supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. About to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. Okay, very happy to be joined by uh, TNT's one of I won't, I won't say TNT's finest in case I offend anybody, but certainly one of TNT's finest, uh, the one and only Basil Valentine, who's beaming in from an undisclosed location this morning. Basil, uh, we were down to talk about uh, the Middle East, which we are going to do as well, but uh, we would be remiss to uh, neglect to mention what's happened overnight in Yemen. Uh, Sunak Cameron, unelected, made a decision, kangaroo court style, to go in and launch attacks on Yemen. Uh, All hell's breaking loose over there at the minute. Uh, What's your take on it so far? Good morning, Rick, and uh, hello to our viewers and listeners all over the world. It's great to be with you. Um, yes, uh, the vagaries of the British political system mean, means we can have both a prime minister and a foreign secretary, neither of whom were elected to the office that they hold. Uh, of course, the prime minister is simply the leader of the governing party. So if that party chooses to change its leader during the course of a parliament, as the Conservatives have done twice, uh, first with Liz Truss and now with Rishi Sunak, there's nothing the British people can do about it. Some people would say that the change of leader by the governing party should automatically trigger a general election. But that isn't part of our constitution, so we are where we are. Um, And then, of course, the uh, Prime Minister can choose anyone he wants for his cabinet. They don't have to be a member of the House of Commons. And in fact, in the the 19th century, it was very common for Prime Ministers to be in the House of Lords. and uh, that's where David Cameron is. So he's a member of Parliament, David Cameron, but in the Lords. Mm-hmm. And of course, he uh, appeared before the Foreign Affairs Select Committee last week when he was asked all sorts of questions about uh, Gaza, whether he thought Israel was committing war crimes. And uh, he was extremely evasive, as was the permanent secretary. Um, and we can see why now, because uh, 
what Britain has decided to do overnight in conjunction with the United States and a number of other countries is to attack uh, a country or a, a military force running a country in the shape of Ansar al-Allah, um, who have stated openly that their only problem with shipping in the Red Sea that passes through their territorial waters are those ships that are directly supplying Israel in its ongoing massacre of the Palestinians. Now, mm -hmm. I say massacre because nobody can deny that killing 30,000 civilians is a massacre. What remains to be seen is whether the International Court of Justice in The Hague over the next couple of weeks decide that it is in fact a genocide. Um, a lot of commentators are saying that regardless of whether or not the ICJ uh, find in favour of South Africa and its supporting countries, which include Bolivia, Turkey, growing list of countries, or not, the case for genocide has been definitively made. Apparently, uh, a lot of people were very moved by uh, South Africa's submissions, which were very eloquent, very detailed. And um, you know, the problem often with genocide isn't simply the killing of the people, and that much, well, we can see uh, that that's going on, unfortunately. We can also see that living conditions in Gaza have been made uninhabitable. But crucially, there have been innumerable, I think it's over 500 statements of genocidal intent at every level of the Israeli state, from the soldiers on the ground in Gaza, right the way up to Benjamin Netanyahu himself, who, of course, on the 28th of October made a speech in which he said, remember what Amalek has done to you, mm -hmm. uh, referencing a biblical enemy uh, who apparently um, are to be exterminated right down to the last infant and donkey. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's what's been happening. And he repeated that in a letter to the uh, Israeli army on November the 3rd. So Netanyahu actually put it in writing. Uh, that he wanted the extermination of the Palestinian population and numerous other Israeli officials, cabinet ministers, quite apart from the talking heads on television, have said, you know, Gaza needs to be flattened, turned to dust. There are no innocents in Gaza, so on and so forth. So, you know, you've got the, 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 the what we see going on on the ground, the mass slaughter, and we've got the clear statements of intent and the general consensus among everybody but diehard Zionists and and their supporters is that the case for genocide has been comprehensively made and yet britain and the united states see fit to attack one of the poorest countries on earth which they've already been bombing for the last eight years resulting in the death by starvation of two million children we've decided to bomb them for trying to stop ships resupplying the slaughter it is the most inverted and disgraceful foreign policy imaginable. I, I, I think so. And very, very beautifully put there, Basil, if I may say so, and very, very uh, succinctly delivered there, just basically what's happening at the minute. That's a very uh, deep in, 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 look at that. Uh, a comment that would back that up, actually, interestingly, from an Irish lawyer that I saw this morning. An Irish lawyer has told the top UN court that the conflict in Gaza is, and I quote, the first genocide in history unquote, being broadcast in real time, 
again in inverted commas. So Blaine Nagarla, KC, spoke during South Africa's case against Israel at the International Court of Justice. So interesting words coming from that Irish lawyer. She said, we're actually seeing genocide being broadcast in real time for the first time in history uh, with the footage that we're seeing there. Another uh, comment that was made by our friend, Freddie Ponton, who uh, was on Locked and Loaded uh, this week, uh, which was great, actually was on the Open Line show. And of course, he appears quite frequently with yourself and Patrick on the Patrick Henningsen show and also on the, uh, the Sunday Wire show. Freddie said this, uh, he said that Bibi Netanyahu still continues to maintain Israel's so-called right to defend itself, even after the South African legal team during the hearing at the ICJ demolished his ridiculous argument in less than a minute. And finally, Freddie also says here, uh, he makes a plea here to the 15 ICJ judges to know that the world is watching and we demand justice. This is Freddie's words for the Palestinian people and the punishment of the perpetrators and all those who have aided and abetted what is plausibly a genocide. And then he goes on to put a photograph of all these uh, elected uh, judges or these representatives. So you've got someone there from uh, Georgia, you've got America, you've got Brazil, you've got Tanzania, you've got Uganda, uh, you've got people from all over the world there. So pleas are being made out and the, the focus is there at the minute. Basil, it's very important that uh, what's happening is brought the light on this ICJ stage. Uh, particularly racist comments as well from Israeli commentators. I think we're uh, we're taking a little bit. There's a little connection issue yeah. there, but I was going to say, Basil. There's uh, uh, there was a little break in the connection there, but we're we're pretty much up to time in this one. We've got to take a little break for the news headlines, but uh, I think we tried to cover as much ground as we possibly could in the short time. If, can, if you can there. still hear me, I've got just one other quick point to make. Yes, um, which is that the Israelis are today due to mount their defence of the charge of genocide. And they've been very disappointed that the court has refused them to allow to sh them to show the famous 45-minute film that they've got uh, of the, uh, what happened on October the 7th. The reason is, quite simply, it's irrelevant. Israel is going to try and shift the focus to Hamas. It doesn't matter what Hamas did. Okay, Hamas, if you want to call them terrorists, fine. You know, what they did on October the 7th was criminal, reprehensible, has to be, whatever you like. Other people say that perhaps it's not as bad as that because, you know, they were breaking out of a concentration camp. But whatever one's views of October the 7th, it's completely and utterly irrelevant. What is on trial here is Israel's actions since October the 7th. You can't say, oh, we're allowed to do this because yeah. of what they did. So it's yeah. going to be very interesting today to see what the court... Uh, what attitude the court take. And lastly, um, Craig Murray, the former British ambassador, has been, was in court yesterday. Bizarrely, only 15 members of the public or journalists can get in, tiny number. Uh, and he said, what's really on trial and the people who don't want to be there are the judges themselves. Because if they find that Israel has indeed been committing genocide, this is going to upend the UK, US, Israeli yep. system of... Uh, global governance, if you like, and it makes Sunak, Biden and all the others potentially mm -hmm. complicit in genocide themselves. So, you know, the world is on trial here, Britain.
it'll be a it'll be certainly a, an interesting uh, week next week as this this uh, continues to unfold at the ICJ. So big thanks to you, Basil, as always for Thank uh, you. taking the time to give us your input and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. We'll be back after the news headlines with Nick Buckley. Don't go away. Plenty more to come here on TNT today's news talk. Now, TNT Radio News. News Flash! Now, without further ado... Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. With support from Australia and Canada, the United States and Britain have launched large-scale retaliatory strikes against Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen. A new bombshell report released by the Pentagon has revealed the US has lost track of over $1 billion worth of military equipment it has sent to Ukraine. And Hunter Biden appeared briefly in an L.A. courtroom on Thursday, the first son pleading not guilty to nine federal tax crimes. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. Okay, I'm really happy to be joined for the first time. And I've been saying that a lot over the last uh, week and a half because we have so many new guests coming on here, which is absolutely fantastic. But this is the first time that I've spoke with uh, Mr. Nick Buckley. Nick is an independent candidate for mayor of Greater Manchester uh, in 2024. He's all about free speech. He's about safer streets. He's anti-woke and uh, also is very keen to address the illegal immigration and migration problem uh, that currently uh, we're facing in Britain at the minute. And certainly Manchester has its fair share of woes. So, Nick, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And listen, we had a, a chap on uh, in the first hour of our programming this morning on Open Line who's uh, throwing his hat into the London mayoral electoral race. So it's good. Uh, this year's going to be a very, very uh, busy year for politics, certainly, whether or not you're mm. a voter or not. There's no getting away from it. Uh, you want to try and uh, make a, a positive change in Greater Manchester or in Manchester area at this point in time. What are the prevalent issues uh, that you would be dealing with? Uh, because, of course, there's a lot to be dealing with, but what are the most uh, pertinent issues for you at this point in time? I think number one is crime. Crime is a problem all over the country. So this is just is a Greater Manchester problem or even a city problem. Crime is it's almost getting to epidemic levels now in Greater Manchester. You know, we've got a local newspaper called the Manchester Evening News. Every day, someone's been shot, someone's been stabbed, someone's been murdered. We had a gentleman sat in his car a couple of days ago, got stabbed for his car, and his car was worth £300. They're not even robbing, you know, half a million pound sports cars now. They're robbing anything that's there. Um, people are being stabbed on nights out. Women afraid to walk the streets. Crime's a big issue. And what most people don't understand in our big cities is the mayor is also the police crime commissioner. So the mayor is actually responsible for policing. He can sack the chief constable. And I've spent 20 years working alongside the police. I know how to fix the police. Um, I know how to reduce crime. I've won awards. I've advised prime ministers. So for me, that's the number one thing in Greater Manchester. Unless we fix the police, nothing else can be fixed. Uh, how do you fix anything when you're scared to walk down the street? My number two priority will be looking at rough sleeping in Greater Manchester. Our current mayor said he'd end rough sleeping in three years. He's now had seven years and it's actually getting worse again. His own stats say it's getting worse again. And the reason why I can do it, and I'm going to end rough sleeping in one year in Greater Manchester, not homelessness. Homelessness is too big to end for one person in a year. But people sleeping and dying on the streets, we can end in one year. 
And why I'm so confident is because, again, for two decades, I've worked with rough sleepers. I've designed rough sleeping, anti-rough sleeping projects. I've chaired multi-agency meetings where I worked for the council. And I've actually worked on the streets with rough sleepers. I know what they want. I know how to get them off the streets. And it doesn't take a lot of money. It's about overcoming the issues and the barriers that no one else has a backbone to do. And some of the simple things that rough sleepers will say, I don't want any help. I can't, I'm not going to that hostel. And you go, why? Well, they don't take dogs and I've got a dog. Well, let's build kennels. It's that simple. I'm not taking your help to go to a hostel because I'm a drug addict and I'm going to want to take drugs tonight. And your hostel says no drugs allowed. So what's the point of me going in there? Well, my hostels will be drugs are allowed for the first week or two. They're illegal, still illegal. If we see them, you'll be arrested. But you can take drugs there while we get you off the streets and until we get you on a drugs program. We, we, we just keep taking people's excuses about why they don't want to get off the streets. And my job will be to overcome all those barriers. And then another big project I'll be looking at is waste and incompetence in all our public services across Greater Manchester. And I won't be able to solve many of these issues in waste and incompetence. But what I will do is I'll be highlighting senior politicians and senior civil servants. And I'll be naming and shaming saying, this is the civil servant who just spent four million pound on this system that doesn't work. This is the name of the council manager who just spent 50 grand painting this crossing in rainbow colors, 50 grand. I want to give skin in the game to senior civil servants. So when they make mistakes or they're thinking of some craziness to waste our tax money, they say to themselves, I better be careful. That crazy mayor will name and shame me and I'll do that. Uh, Nick, uh, one other thing uh, that you'd uh, highlighted would put a little post up on the X platform this morning. Uh, and I noticed you put a, a message there to say, I'm looking forward to having a chat this morning. The question is, how do we also tackle slum landlords uh, without penalizing good landlords through more paperwork and cost? I think that falls into maybe category number three of waste and incompetence. Uh, there's so many, uh, there's so much wastage going on. And people say there aren't the funds to do this, there aren't the funds to do that. Quite often the funds could be there or may well be there but unfortunately as you've mentioned they could be blown 50 grand on uh, painting a, a, a multicolored uh, zebra crossing there which isn't even actually by the way legitimate uh, mm. under the highway code we covered this story before that if you do these uh, you know LGBT whatever uh, rainbow crossings they're not actually <laughs> legally uh, viable uh, but anyway that's a side thing but landlords ties in as well with uh, you know homelessness which as you say you can't fix that within the space of a year but certainly you want to try and address the rough sleeping just going back to the crime thing as well I think I don't know if you agree with this or not but there's a danger that when the things that you've just described become commonplace they happen on a daily basis people become desensitized to them and it almost becomes part of everyday life. And it's almost like they shrug their shoulders and say, well, this is just how greater Manchester is. In just two minutes, we've just got two minutes left. It's not just how greater Manchester is. Greater Manchester could be better. And if you have experience working with the police, surely you're going to be able to at least improve that situation, if not eradicate it altogether. Exactly. And I'm not sat here saying, in 30 seconds, this is how I'll fix the police. Mm -hmm. My plan's out there. Go on social media, Twitter, Facebook, go in the highlight sections of my tweets and posts. The plan's there. I've put all my plans out. I'm not one of these people who'll tell you I'll fix it and give you no detail. My comprehensive plan's already out there about how we fix the police. And we fix the police by going back to basics about arresting criminals, 
about making sure the community are happy what we're doing. Stop treating criminals as if they're also victims. Stop all this soft touch, pink and fluffy policing that we're doing. I want to hammer criminals and I'm proud to say it and I won't apologize. Let's hammer them. I want them to be afraid of the police and afraid of committing crime. Mm -hmm. They need to realize that there's consequences to what they're doing. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're going to be uh, put up in a nice, uh, you know, young offender center with a PlayStation 4 sitting in the cell and uh, free internet access. Yeah, we need to get tough on crime and certainly we need to get tough on criminals. Nick, uh, just to direct people uh, where they can connect with you, if you're listening in, you can go to the X or Twitter platform at Nick Buckley. MBE, that's his ex handle. And also, he has a website, Nick Buckley, number four, mayor.co.uk. You can check out his website and you can find out a little bit more about what he's about, especially if you're listening in here this morning from the Manchester, Greater Manchester area. So, Nick, uh, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. I hope it wasn't too traumatic for you. And <laughs> as the year progresses and your campaign progresses, we'll maybe get you back uh, at another point yeah. for a little Anytime. update if you'd be up for that. So big thanks to Nick Buckley this morning. We've got to take a little break. And when we come back, Rob Hutchinson's joining us from South Africa to give us the lowdown and the word on the street about what's happening in his particular neck of the weeds here, exclusively live on TNT, today's news talk. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. Whatever happens to good, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot and it's become our automatic answer to so much. Hey, how's things? Good. Your mum, your weekend? Good, good. Is good even that good anymore? At the Salvos, we believe good deserves better. Let's reclaim its true meaning. To us, good has always been about making a difference and good never picks or chooses who it helps. Isn't it time we all remember what good really means? You're with Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Okay, um, I am really happy to be joined again by uh, Rob Hutchinson. He's beaming in from South Africa at the moment. Uh, Rob is a longtime contributor to TNT Radio, TNT Today's News Talk, and especially uh, to this uh, Locked and Loaded segment that I do here. Rob runs Dear South Africa, which is a public participation platform. Don't try saying that when you're drunk. Established in 2018 to provide all citizens an opportunity to shape public policy protect your democracy have a say now rob welcome back to uh locked and loaded first show of 2024 uh years got off their blast already don't you think no it has already it, it's and if it's uh the, what's happened so far already this year is anything to judge by i think 2024 is going to be quite an adventurous year for for not just for south africa but i think globally 
it's I think it promises to be more fun than 2023. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> if, if that's any if that's possible at all. Yeah. Fun, well, depends what, fun you, what you call fun. Inverted yeah. commas. Yeah, fun and inverted commas. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the focus, whether we like it or not, whether you're politically minded or not, or whether you're a voter or whether you're not, there's no denying the fact that this is possibly uh, the most pivotal year for politics uh, in, the, in recent memory, certainly. Uh, most places will go to the polls this year. South Africa, I believe, is no different in that respect. There's a few uh, interesting characters on the South African political stage at the minute. And one that we have touched on uh, briefly in the past was this chap called Julius Cello Malema. <laughs> Julius Malema, quite an interesting chap here. He's throwing his hat in, uh, fancies himself as a potential leader of South Africa. And I just I checked out his, um, his Twitter page last night. Quite the bio he has. Let me just read out his own bio here. It's mind-blowing. <laughs> he, he describes himself as the commander-in-chief at warning bells ringing there already. The commander-in-chief of the Economic Freedom Fighters, the EFF, a revolutionary activist for radical change in Africa. And I notice he mentions Africa, not just South Africa. Methinks Malema has his eye on bigger things than just simply South Africa alone. He says he doesn't use Facebook. And I quote, fools get blocked, unquote. <laughs> uh, quite a piece of work is our Julius. Have you ever met him, have you? Actually not. I haven't actually met him face to face at all. I've been in the same room as him, but mm. wasn't brave enough to shake hands with hands with the man. No, um, but he is definitely a character of, of note. It's, it's, it's all of it is show. Most of it is is, a, is just show. He has to keep up this uh, very specific persona to to um, show himself as a as an aggressive person and uh, rile up his followers and his uh, what do you call them his freedom fighters um, and it's just to it's all a political play all a stage act but he uh, behind the scenes he is um, uh, he's a different person but he does still have a sinister nature about him there's no doubt about that it's there's definitely a an agenda behind behind what he does. He's he's a he's an excellent politician. I'm, I must give credit where credit's due. There, he's a he's a brilliant politician. He knows how to manipulate his uh, his voters, his audience, and he knows how to push the right buttons in his opposition uh, within his opposition parties. Uh, he really he really kicks up a storm. He relies heavily on on the media, so he does outrageous things um, just to grab media attention. And of course, uh, he gets that media attention. If it wasn't for the media, um, I don't think South Africans would even know who Julius Malema is, uh, just because he does right. such crazy things, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he also grabs the attention of opposition parties and civil society organizations that uh, take that late criminal charges against him, but just all they're doing is playing into, into his hands. They give him the elevated status that, that he so demands. <laughs> You know, it was interesting to hear your summary there. It was quite funny. I don't think you realize what you said. You said, I have to give him credit where credit's due. He's highly manipulative and he knows how to push <laughs> all the right buttons. He's a brilliant politician. That just sums up poli brilliant politicians perfectly, Rob. Highly manipulative. Absolutely. And they know how to push people's buttons and how to manipulate the media. There's a picture of me here, actually, on his Twitter page. Uh, it says, uh, we made it, Fighters 2023. This was something he posted at the end of 
last year. He said, this was our year. We remain undefeated. Happy New Year. Ground forces of the EFF South Africa, the people of South Africa and the diaspora uh, in 2024. We're ready for you. See you soon. I love your children of the soil. And then there's a picture of him on this huge elevated platform with his fist raised in the air. Mandela release style with confetti floating down around him. Uh, quite the picture. <laughs> you said he's a different man behind closed doors. You don't think he's into like knitting and crocheting and uh, no. origami ducks, do you? Uh, or is that taking a little bit too far? Yeah, that might be taking a little bit too far. He's, he's. Uh, I think he's quite an intelligent guy. He he knows uh, his way around around politics and um, you know, human behavioral psychology, and how to get get people to say the things that he wants them to say or act in the way that he wants to. Um, but yeah, you know, he's like I said, he's he's got that quite sinister approach, that that dark undertone, which is always always present in in whatever he does yeah that's um and like you really rob outside. it's a bit like you that dark <laughs> sinister undertone of it's great that i can say things like that to my guests and they don't just disconnect in uh, fits of anger yeah. but you know where i'm coming from it's very tongue-in-cheek let me actually uh pose this question to you rob because uh you did uh delve into politics in the past what I'm finding from talking to people that have either had political backgrounds or people that are advocating for actual proper change in politics these days is that we need a complete sweeping of the table. We need everything to be swept clean. We need new blood. We need new faces. We need more independence in there, not part of old established parties. Having said that, you know, watching things happen in South Africa at the minute with your experience, with your knowledge, with your ability to run things, would you be ever tempted uh, to throw your hat back in the political ring again yourself? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question, Rick, and I get asked that quite quite often. Um, the truth is, uh, I, I don't think I would. I, I, I don't think I would. I don't think you can achieve much um, once you're in that system um because you're bound by by rules and bureaucracy and uh it becomes a, a competitive amongst your amongst your colleagues um you know it, it takes too much to get to get things done and you become pretty powerless whereas if you stick uh come from the outside say from a civil society approach you don't you're not bound by bureaucracy you can react quickly you can take action um without going going to a vote or anything else like that i think um if i did it would probably be as an independent candidate so not bound by party politics and and so on also not bound to any ideology um you know as a political party you expected to adopt some some sort of ideology uh, i don't subscribe to any ideology as as, as it might be i just think it's it's detrimental to to the whole progress of, of humankind we all have different views but um if i did it would be as an as an independent and the sole purpose would be to um be able to present um what's called private members bills to to parliament which is uh suggestions on amendments to policy um uh, new new laws and and so on because that that's that's what generally creates or fixes uh, creates problems or, or fixes problems in in society is is changing laws also as a member of parliament then 
I would have a proper uh, influencing vote on on um, committees who 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 adopt to adopt the laws and and suggestions. So from that point of view, yes, purely as a legislative and policy influencing uh, position, not anything to do with with politics, or most certainly not any intention to uh, run the country or take over the country. That's probably not not my forte at all you know what that sounds like a bluff to me i reckon you're going to be uh i reckon you're going to run and maybe see you as the uh president oust ramfosa and the hutchinson for the win and if that happens uh don't forget your old friend rick munn over here in ireland uh Absolutely. something else that i want to talk to you about you talked about laws there nine new laws this is something that you posted up on the dear uh south africa yeah. page which by the way if you don't already do so uh, and you're listening from that part of the world uh at dear a underscore national is the X or Twitter page and also the website is dearsouthafrica.co.za uh, one thing you posted up there Rob uh, we'll try and blast through this here nine new laws waiting to be signed in by Ramfosa from NHI to hate speech so uh, with the national elections coming up Parliament has been pushing through large amounts of legislation with several laws only needing the, pres the president's signature for them to be passed uh, which is pretty crazy uh, just signs a piece of paper and bang the laws are coming in so some of these uh, that do just need a signature are number one the national health insurance bill preventing and combating hate crimes and hate speech bill that's a disturbing one uh judicial matters and amendments bill and on and on it goes agricultural product standards amendments bill the hate speech one in particular there seems to be a clamp down right across the world at the minute uh, on people yeah. what they can say and whether or not it's inflammatory that's another one that uh Ramfosa just simply has to sign a piece of paper and that bang that's in yeah yeah so that's actually the final process of of drafting new legislation or, or new laws or, or amendments uh to existing legislation um goes through a, a extensive um public participation process first um, goes, then it, it sits in front of the um, uh, the uh, parliamentary committees in the National Assembly. They discuss it, they send it up for public participation. Then it goes, it gets passed on to the National Council of Provinces and um, they, they further deliberate it and sometimes put it out for public participation again. And then if there aren't any changes or any amendments or if it's not referred back to National Assembly, then it's passed by the NCRP uh, to the president to the president's desk where he has to sign it to assent it into law. And um, that's that's what's where we are in those policies right now. Um, you can object to it. You can object to um, the president doesn't have to sign it in. He can send it back to National Assembly. Uh, to rediscuss if he if he's not happy with it um and the idea is you can put pressure on on the president to show him the consequences of signing it that the detrimental consequences thereof or or simply that it's it shouldn't be because it's going to face a litigation if he does sign it sign it into law which i think the nhi will, will definitely be facing litigation um there, there are several groups who've pointed out major flaws in it and it's just not uh, financially sustainable for the for the country. After law is signed in by the president, then the minister has to um, draft regulations which explain how the law is enacted, how it's enforced, and and so on, how it's carried out. So it's a it's quite a lengthy process before. So the NHI, if the president signs it in, um, say tomorrow, 
then it will uh, it will officially be a law. It can still be open to challenge uh, by by civil society, um, but the minister will have up to three years to draft regulations um, which show how, how it carries on. So the NHI won't won't be instantly imp- implemented. It will it'll still take around three years or so to actually even start to begin rolling out. So although uh, these things could be passed, you're talking about maybe potentially years before some of them actually come into force. One thing that won't take years uh, is this uh, upcoming election. Uh, Have they fixed the date, Rob, or is it flexible with regards to when people will go to the polls? And having said that, just as we wrap this one up here, because we're we're nearly up to time in this one, uh, where's the smart money on if you were a betting man or a betting woman and you were to have a little flutter on who might win the South African election this year, uh, who would you be putting your money on? (laughs) Commitment, yeah. Um, well, look, I've, I've openly said it. I don't think the ANC will lose. Um, there's a lot of talk about the DA uh, rising up and forming coalitions with other parties to ask the ANC. I, I don't see it in, happening in reality. I think the ANC has got a, a bit of a winning, a winning card here with the with the NHI. All the other parties are opposing it, yet the ANC is um, the only party that's pushing for it. Free healthcare for all. It's a it's a great voting strategy. Um, we have to hand it to them. It's it's brilliant, especially for their their uh, voting target market. It's it's perfectly suited for them. So I I, I would put my money on the ANC winning um, still. Um, and uh, there was also talk about them dropping below a fifty percent fifty one percent majority. Um, I don't think that's going to happen either. I, I think they'll still retain their the um, outright majority of, of over 50%. Because um, people forget about the uh, coalitions that the ANC might form with other smaller parties who are ANC aligned. They won't form a coalition with the EFF. The EFF won't, won't ever form a coalition with, with anybody. Now, they'll always play that um, devil's advocate or, mm-hmm. or you know, decision maker they, or kingmaker. They, they won't let go of that card. And Julius Malema just simply wouldn't accept second position as as deputy president. So that's definitely not going to happen. But yeah, ANC, um, I would say. And smart money's on the ANC. Yeah, definitely. Twenty twenty nine, maybe a different a different scenario. Yeah, because I don't think uh, although Malema is not really a, a viable, you know, candidate that's going to oust the ANC. Uh, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Four or five years doesn't be long rolling around and he could end up making a run for things because, listen, who knows what state the world's going to be in in five years? Who knows what state it's going to be in at the end of 2024, let alone 2029? Interesting, too, though, that despite, uh, you know, these beautiful promises that are being made, free healthcare for all, it does sit against that backdrop of think something, that demon that we've been discussing for a long time about mm-hmm. load shedding that affl- afflicts just about everybody in South Africa this time. And, of course, the water situation isn't getting any better over there either and also violent crime uh rob uh, south africa you know it's you know some parts have been very noted for violent crime over the years but it's yes. certainly uh, more and more stories are emerging now farm attacks in particular are absolutely horrific and always have been tourist attacks uh just general violence on the streets we had a, a mayoral candidate from manchester on not so long ago just before you came on actually he was talking about addressing the the violence epidemic that's happening in manchester i think the 
the world, uh, as Klaus Schwab said, is going to become an angrier, more hostile place, especially as pockets get attacked by inflation, uh, price mm. increases, uh, lack of this, lack of that, lack of reliability with uh, infrastructure. I think the world will be an angrier place. But you know what? We don't have to be angry people, Rob, you and me. We can just still keep laughing and having a bit of crack here on Locked and Loaded and try and make light of this very dark setup that we're all part of. So listen, Absolutely. we're up to time in this one. I can hear I can hear drums in the background. I can hear a little bit of distorted guitar in the background and some bass. That means it's coming up to the end of the show. And what a great way to end it. Rob, been a blast as always. Always lovely to talk to you. You and I will stay in contact as we do. That's the wonderful Rob Hodginson and the not so wonderful Rick Munn. Big thanks to Murray and crew all week in the studio for making the magic happen. And we'll be back again, God willing, Monday morning, 9 a.m. sharp for open line here on the one and only TNT. <laughs>